This podcast is for general information only. It is not intended as a substitute for general health care services. If you have medical conditions, you need to see your doctor. Use of this information is at the user's own risk. Welcome to FitRx with Dr. Greg Dennis. Join me as we challenge the standard sick model of healthcare. This is your source for everything health, wellness, prevention, fitness, biohacking, and more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of FitRx. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Dennis. Very excited about today's guest and just this topic. You may have heard me talk about on another podcast. I don't know which one will come out first, but when I started first reading about this, about um, uh, iron and about copper and how those two kind of intertwine, it really challenged my thinking of you know, probably how wrong we are in that and and how we have been taught. And of course, shouldn't be any surprise, uh, you, you know, that I challenge a lot of things in conventional medicine, but, but this was one that I just, you, you know, I learned a lot about and, and so hopefully you will too. But uh, my guess is Morley Robbins and he uh, wrote a book entitled Cure, uh, C-U-R-E, and he is the founder of the Root Cause Protocol, which we're going to talk about. Um, and so I'm going to really let him just kind of talk about how he discovered all these things and got into this. Uh, he uh, he also um, started a, uh, a Facebook page, which is very popular, um, called, is it the Magnesium? Efficacy Group. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Magnesium advocacy, advocacy group. Uh, and, and he also discovered the importance of magnesium, which I've talked a little bit about on this show. So, but anyways, Mr. Robbins, uh, welcome to the show. Well, Mr. Robbins was my dad, so you can call me Morley. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm delighted to be here. Thank yeah, you. For well, the- well, well, thanks for coming on. So uh, before we get going in the nuts and bolts of this, tell us if you will, just how in the world you came upon all this information and, and discovered you know, all this, you know, about uh, iron and magnesium, and then that kind of led into the importance of copper and uh, yeah. talk about that well, a little bit. Been quite a journey. Um, real quick, um, born into a very sickly family. Um, by, I mean, I mean, really sickly family. Uh, my sister became a nurse. I was supposed to be the doctor. That was not going to happen. I didn't, I didn't have the uh, academic drive for that. So if you can't be a doctor, you go to business school and you boss me around. So I went to business school and I worked in hospital management for 12 years and then consultant for 20. Um, pulled a suitcase behind my back for 20 years. Uh, don't, I would not advise that. I developed what's called frozen shoulder and was told by colleagues at a health food store, go see Dr. Liz. And I said, oh, I don't do witchcraft. Um, so just sell me some supplements. Long story short, when I went back in writhing pain, they said, we love you, man. Go see Dr. Liz. So I went to see Dr. Liz, who's a chiropractor of 42 years. And in two sessions, I had full rotation and uh, use of my arm, which was nothing short of a miracle. And she used a phrase, uh, Greg, that really caught my eye. She was talking about the innate healer. And I didn't say anything at the time, but I was absolutely mystified. Like, if there's an innate healer, why do we have millions of doctors around the world? Why, why do we need this? extra help if we've got it inside. And so what the book represents is the culmination of about uh, almost 12 years of research 
uh, I, I was initially drawn to magnesium. I, I, I read uh, Carolyn Dean's Magnesium Miracle book and was fascinated by that. It's a you know, beautifully written book. She was actually very instrumental in getting me started. She supported my work in the very beginning. Thank God for that. And I'm very grateful for her. But um, I knew there was more to the story. But what the magnesium got me to really focus on was stress, because we lose magnesium under stress. I call it the magnesium burn rate. I was reading an article about iron by a team of Italian uh, iron physicians. If you really want to understand iron, you want to get research from countries that begin with I, Italy, Iraq, Iran, Ireland, I mean, in India, a lot of amazing research coming out of India. And um, I, don't know what the, I don't know what the connection is, but they all seem to have a real knack for it. But in any event, this particular team, um, the lead sentence said, the greatest stress for humans is iron stress. And boom, I went, oh my gosh, that's why we keep losing magnesium. Because it, and that, that got me to oxidative stress. Because once you, once you understand that iron has a real affinity for oxygen, and they, they, they have a magnetic attraction for each other, well, then you begin to understand why the magnesium keeps getting burned up because of oxidative stress. But then I wanted to find out well, why, does, why does oxygen keep interacting with iron? It's because there's a lack of bioavailable copper. And it turns out that oxygen wasn't always on the planet. Uh, it's a very fascinating story, which, which we won't go into right now. But the important thing is there's only one element on planet Earth that is able to regulate both iron and oxygen and prevent oxidative stress, and that's copper. And so suddenly my, my shifting, my interest evolved my focus started to shift more towards the copper side of the house. And it's absolutely amazing how much information is out there, but how little of it is taught in doctor school. And it, it certainly not, if anyone knows anything about copper, they know it's toxic. And if most people know anything about iron, they know it's anemic. Well, that's the meme that runs medicine. You're anemic, you're copper toxic. It's just the opposite. Most people are swimming and drowning in iron because they don't have enough copper to spit at. And that's the, that's the conundrum that we are um, dealing with today. And for those who, who have been intrigued by the last two and a half years, I've renamed that whole dynamic. COV stands for coppers vanished and ID stands for irons dysregulated. <clears throat> and anyone who wants to better understand that dynamic and the dynamic that goes with the jab, it's all about the mismatch of those two minerals. Well, the spike protein is in fact identical to hepcidin. We could spend an entire conversation just talking about that. So I, I think it's important for people to realize that the, the relationship that copper has with iron and oxygen and magnesium is uh, critical. <clears throat> People can see this triangle behind my head. It's, it's, a, it's a really cool print, but I firmly believe there is a hierarchy of minerals and coppers at the top of the heap. So just important for people to realize that.
despite its small presence in our body, it carries a lot of sweat. So that's kind of the first chapter of the book. So you wrote this book called Cure, uh, you know, which kind of talks about all this. And, and yep. the chapter is titled Misled and Misfed. Right. Uh, and you, you mentioned it there. You kind of summarized it. And I'm going to just read the notes that I had, which basically say what you just said, but that most likely we have too much iron in our cells, tissues, and organs, not enough bioavailable copper to regulate the iron metabolism. When the copper is low, iron becomes stuck in the cells. It needs to be mobilized and circulating to deliver oxygen. And so is that kind of a good summary? Absolutely. Great summary. Yeah. In the world of, in, in the world of traditional Chinese medicine, they refer to copper as the general and iron as the foot soldier. Well, you don't have to be in the military to you know there's a difference between generals and foot soldiers. So picture the Battle of the Bulge without patent would have had a very different outcome. And so uh, copper is instrumental in many different enzyme functions, but the, one of the most important is to facilitate what's called the iron recycling system. The formal name is reticuloendothelial system. It only took me about two years to figure out that meant recycling. What's important for your listeners to understand is that every second of every day, we have to make two and a half million red blood cells every second. In the course of 24 hours, it's 200 billion red blood cells. It's a lot of red blood cells. What's amazing about it is it only requires 25 milligrams of iron. A typical person has about 5,000 milligrams of iron, but 25 <clears throat> needed for the recycling. But there's the catch is that 24 of those 25 milligrams of iron come from a recycling system. And so 95% of the iron that we need every day to make 200 billion red blood cells comes from recycled iron. It's made possible by bioavailable copper ensuring the movement and the recycling of iron throughout our body. That is not taught in doctor school. Doctors are taught <clears throat> everyone's anemic. Everyone needs more copper, or excuse me, more iron. So the, the supplements that a lot of people take might have upwards of 25 to 40 milligrams of iron, which is a very high dose in a body that only needs one milligram because all the other iron is needed is coming from the recycling system. I guess my question is, how did we get here? And I, I guess I think I know. So probably years ago, we had more copper in our diet, didn't have all these iron fortified foods. Years ago, I guess they um, started believing people were iron deficient. So they added uh, iron to everything. Now, all these cereals, everything we eat are, are you know, iron fortified. Uh, and, and then we're getting just naturally less copper in our diet. So now the pendulum has swung completely the other way. We're iron overloaded and copper deficient. Is that accurate? Absolutely. And it, it, the copper has been the number one nutrient deficiency on the farm for 80 years. So if it's not on the farm, it's not in the food. And then we, then we add to that the insult of modern medicine, many of which chelate minerals, not the least of which is magnesium and copper. And then you mentioned that magnesium will make that worse. And I've stated on the podcast before that I believe most people are magnesium deficient. So yes. if, we're, if we're copper deficient, 
we're getting too much iron in our diet or vitamins or whatever, then we're also magnesium deficient. It's just all compounding the problem, uh, making iron overload that much worse. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. And what's important about that is that many practitioners recommend magnesium, which I think is great, but that magnesium burn rate isn't solved by taking magnesium. The magnesium is a symptom of a higher order problem, which is the copper's not there to regulate the iron and the oxygen. And that's what's causing the magnesium to leave the body. So if you wanna solve a symptom, take magnesium. If you wanna correct the physiology, you've gotta deal with the, the bioavailable copper. So talk about the significance of having too much iron. So, so if we have low copper, we have too much iron storage Right. Why, why is that a bad thing? What is it doing in the body? Well, it's, it's killing energy production in the mitochondria. And again, the, the title of the book is Cure Your Fatigue. And what people need to understand is that at a cellular level, it's the energetics of the cell when it starts to run out of the ability to make ATP, that's when all the symptoms begin to, to rise up. And so energy production is where it's at. And the immune system runs on energy. The immune system really runs on energy and intelligence, both of which are provided by copper. But the, but the thing is, uh, people don't understand the energy side of the equation. We've been trained to focus on enemies and toxins, everything that's external to our, our, our being. When in fact, when our body and our immune system has energy, it knows exactly what to do. It has metabolic pathways to detox itself. It knows exactly what mechanisms to use, but they depend on energy. And so what, what copper brings to the table are four key factors. Copper creates energy. Copper clears exhaust. Copper catalyzes enzymes. And copper combats enemies. All pathogens cave in the presence of copper, whether it's a bacteria, fungus, virus, or parasite, <clears throat> the whole spectrum of, of those pathogens cannot tolerate the frequency of the, of the copper metal. Um, so you mentioned it briefly, but, but talk more about what you refer to anemia hoax. And so everybody, like you mentioned, is focused on anemia and, and, you know, we're all iron deficient, I guess, talk a little bit more about that and, and maybe why you would say that that's inaccurate. And so the, the declaration that you're anemic is based on iron in the blood, right? It's a blood test with so iron in the blood. It turns out that hemoglobin accounts for about 70% of the iron in the body. My globin is about 10%. So an enormous percentage of iron is, is attached to carrying oxygen. But the thing is, the, the blood test isn't measuring iron in the tissue. So a very famous study was done by Bruce Ames. Uh, he's a physiologist. He was at Berkeley for most of his career. But he did a very important study in 2004, where he was studying cells and, and came to realize that there was 10 times more iron in the tissue and was in the blood 10 times. And so that became a watershed study to expose the fact that maybe the blood test is not completely accurate. 
And a lot of people are being advised they're anemic, again, based on a blood test, but even the bigger insult is based on a serum ferritin test. And so just a, a quick breakdown of, of uh, iron in the body, again, 80% is between hemoglobin and myoglobin. Another 10% is uh, in proteins called ferritin. They're, storage, they're iron storage proteins, and they're supposed to be inside the cells. They're not supposed to be in the blood. When they get outside the cell into the blood, you've got pathology going on. And then the rest of the iron is tied up in, in different uh, heme and iron sulfur clusters and things of that nature. The thing is, there are three principal containers of iron. We have, in terms of a blood test, we have the biggest container is a bucket called hemoglobin, again, 70% of iron. We have a teacup of iron called ferritin. And then we have something, a thimble, very small percentage of iron is tied up in serum iron, but it's a very important uh, indication of this recycling program, this 200 billion new red blood cells every 24 hours. And so you need to be able to look at all three of those to get a balance of what's taking place inside the iron metabolism. So much of that is dependent upon bioavailable copper. And doctors, I think, have been reduced to first graders using a ruler, oh, your iron's too high, your iron's too low, when in fact, it's calculus. You really got to understand a lot of different factors to really understand the dynamics of what's happening with the iron in this body. And it is not a simple metric of high and low. And I think that's where a lot of people have gotten trapped, uh, both patients and practitioners. Failure to understand the recycling side of the house, I think is critical. And it's gotten a lot of people into a lot of trouble because I think there's a global intake of iron that supersedes the need because the real missing factor is copper. Copper is running the show for the recycling program. And again, that's not a, a term that's taught in doctor school. How, how many times did you hear about ceruloplasmin in your DO training? Yeah, zero, right? Yeah. And, and, that, and I've talked to hundreds of doctors and that's the answer that they've all given me. And so it really, it's intriguing. It's like, wait a minute, the, the master antioxidant protein in the body, it can morph 20 different ways, depending upon what the situation is. There's, there's 20 copper binding sites on ceruloplasm gene. It's like, it's mind blowing. And so it's like, they're, they're not, they don't understand the most, one of the, one of the largest proteins in the body that has eight copper atoms inside it. There's no other protein that even comes close to that. And doctors don't even know what it is. Mm -hmm. And so if you, again, the phrase that I use is missing information equals missing truth. So if you don't understand ceruloplasm, then you don't understand human physiology. And, and in order to really keep human physiology in balance, you've got to make sure that iron and oxygen are not out of regulation with each other. And so it's, it's just a very uh, critical nuance to um, staying in homeostasis. So talk briefly, if you will, about the labs that you have people get. And, and you know, we could probably do a whole episode on, on how to interpret all these labs, which, I mean, you could teach me in, in just if you could summarize it, like what is the typical picture if somebody is 
has an iron storage, say they're low on copper, what what kind of labs are you going to recommend getting and, and, and what is the pattern that you're going to see on these different, some of these different labs? So within the, the, the program that I, I recommend, it's called the Root Cause Protocol. Uh, people can, you know, search that out. It's readily available on the internet. Uh, we do two principal mineral tests. We do a hair tissue mineral analysis. We get to look at a lot of different factors, but we look at a dozen different minerals, eight heavy metals, and then some other factors that show up in the hair. But that gives us a real good context for what the stress level is within the individual. It gives us an idea of their, their capacity to generate energy. It's not definitive. It's more directional, but it, it really it invites um, a conversation to find out. So what's going on in your life? What, what's the stress that you're under? Because the stress of someone's life is revealed in their mineral tests. And so we do the hair test. And then in addition to that, we do what we call the full Monty iron panel. And there are a dozen different markers in there. Um, half a dozen of them deal with iron. Uh, we, we look at zinc. We look at magnesium in the red blood cell. Excuse me. Yeah, magnesium in the red blood cell. We look at copper and ceruloplasmin, both in the serum. And then we look at vitamin A and vitamin D. Again, we live in a world that is, has been programmed to think that all we need is vitamin D. No, it, it, it's in a uh, yin-yang relationship with vitamin A. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand how destructive excess supplementation with vitamin D can be to overall metabolism. And a lot of confusion around that. I'm sure at some point we'll talk about that, whether it's this chat or maybe the next. But um, we, we take this broad-based view of these different factors to get a more uh, holistic view of, of what's taking place inside that person's body as it relates to their stress and how their minerals are, are dealing with that stress. And so I, I guess um, let's get into, you know, people are going to want to know, well, how can I correct this? I mean, first, you know, you're going to need some labs to kind of see where you're at. And right. so you have, you have a whole protocol and first you uh, mentioned the stop. So stop, you know, doing this and uh, I'll run through them real quick. And then uh, <laughs> I don't know that I can run through all these. There's quite a few, but, but I'll kind of hit the highlights. Um, so you will say, stop taking iron supplements. I mean, that's uh, kind of logical with what you're saying and, and also stop eating foods that are iron fortified, which are, are going to be, you know, probably a lot of the processed foods and obviously cereals and, you know, stuff like that. You mentioned uh, stop taking vitamin C or excuse me, uh, vitamin D supplements, which uh, I'll ask you about that here in a minute. Um, calcium supplements, zinc supplements, uh, molybdenum. Uh, multivitamins, because many of those have iron in them, vitamin C, especially the synthetic ascorbic acid, stop using fluoride. You mentioned the, the stop eating the, the high carb processed foods. So I kind of just summarized all that, but, but give me some highlights, uh, I guess, of that and, and, and why you have people kind of stop doing those things. Well, some of those are no brainers. Of course, the, you know, the fluoride, the excess sugars, I think that, that goes without saying. I think the ones that are always a surprise are, you know, stopping iron because so many people do take iron. Uh, but the ones that I think have been particularly controversial have been ascorbic acid, vitamin D, and zinc. I mean, they are the, the holy triangle of conventional nutrition. And I think they are uh, very challenging and destructive to bioavailable copper. And again, we don't just talk about copper. 
needs to be made bioavailable through the action of retinol in our diet. That's preformed vitamin A, get it from animal sources, not the um, precursor form beta carotene. They're very different molecules. <clears throat> it takes a lot of beta carotene to equal one unit of, of retinol. But the important thing is that during the last couple of years, a lot of people have taken a lot of ascorbic acid, a lot of vitamin D, a lot of zinc, and they're hurting cowboys now and cowgirls. And so the thing is, ascorbic acid is very different than whole food vitamin C. Whole food vitamin C has an, an engine. It's very, it's very much like a car. It has an engine, has a steering wheel, has four wheels and a cover. That's pretty much a car, right? Ascorbic acid is the cover of the car and no moving parts. It's very different. And so whole food vitamin C is an, as a complex with all of those different components is an antioxidant. Ascorbic acid alone is a pro-oxidant. And you can learn that from Gutteridge and Hallowell and other famed iron biologists. Um, but the important thing is ascorbic acid denatures ceruloplasmin and causes copper to leak out. And so um, that's not a good thing. Vitamin D blocks the uptake of vitamin A. It's not a good thing. Uh, zinc, everyone's media darling. Well, zinc is known to be toxic to ceruloplasma. Zinc is toxic to a key copper enzyme in our mitochondria called cytochrome C oxidase. Again, there's, there's a lot of literature out there about how damaging these components are, but that's not what's on the internet. That's not what practitioners have been taught. And so we've taken a very deep view of, of the research, gone back, back to the 1910s, 20s, 30s, 40s, to see what the greats were saying about these nutrients. We're not interested in what's new. We're interested in what's enduring. And so the, the stops are designed to get the static out of our system that's blocking the ability to make ceruloplasma and to load it with copper. And that's really what we, what we really are focused on. And why is that so important? It's because ceruloplasma has many different functions, not the least of which is it's a supply line for copper to the mitochondria in our cells. To give you a sense of, of order of magnitude, the average mitochondria, according to Paul Cobine at Auburn University, 2004 and 2006, uh, identified that each mitochondria in our body, and we have 40 quadrillion of them, quite a few. It, it's not like the high school uh, biology text that we used. We have 40 quadrillion mitochondria, and they're each supposed to have 50,000 atoms of copper inside them. Well, I don't think that's the case in the modern era. And that therein lies how we get fatigued is we don't have adequate stores and um, levels of copper, and it's not able to be made bioavailable because most people eat a low-fat diet. And when you say low-fat, it's code for no retinol. And people don't realize the role that retinol plays on copper enzymes to load copper into those key um, metabolic factors that run our body. Uh, so you don't recommend any zinc at all because I know Jason, yeah, just the other the diet, just from the diet. Okay. The, the other guy I interviewed who, you know, advocates copper. Uh, I think he recommends as long as to take zinc, as long as you're, you're not getting more than a, Oh, like a two to one ratio of, of zinc to copper, uh, you, you know, cause he talks about how, you know, the zinc can, can lower the copper, but 
you know, if you're getting enough, but so you don't recommend any zinc at all. You don't think it's necessary. No supplemental zinc. We get it through our diet. Okay. Again, people need to understand his approach is to flood the body with copper, which is going to put a tremendous load on the zinc that we've got. So it's a completely different philosophy for, for uh, supplementing the body. I can, I can buy all those except the vitamin D one. And we may, <laughs> uh, we may have, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we may have to, to do another episode on the vitamin D. Um, and, but you know, people have heard me talk about vitamin D on here before I'm a big, uh, advocate of, of optimal mm-hmm. vitamin D levels. The, the reason that's hard for me to swallow is I've seen not only just clinically people just get healthier when we optimize their vitamin D levels. And from the beginning of the pandemic, I noticed a connection with severity of illness and vitamin D levels. And then way later, a study came out that showed that people with a vitamin D level of greater than 50 had a, a mortality rate of, of zero, you know, and from, you know, from COVID. And that's basically what I was seeing clinically because we treated a lot of COVID in our practice over the last couple of years. And so now, yes, it's always best to get vitamin D from the sun. Um, you know, that just doesn't seem to to happen, you know, for most people. And so I just find their overall health is improved because when I, I check vitamin D levels all the time and I see people in the teens, uh, in the low twenties, uh, and I really like to get their levels up 60, 70, 80. Uh, now I do recommend a, a, it with vitamin A and vitamin K2. Matter of fact, that's what we give here is what's called an ADK. And, and so I, I just see a connection um, with their overall health when we optimize vitamin D levels. And I've always felt like it's an important marker. That's a tough one for me to tell people to, to not no, no, take I, vitamin I, D. And I've been dealing with this for a dozen years. Uh, you're not the first practitioner to kind of balk on that. And that's fine. You know, if we agreed on everything, we'd have nothing to talk about. But the, but the important thing is, how is vitamin D made? It's made inside the liver. It's an enzyme called 25-hydroxylase, which is magnesium dependent. And what we learned back in 1928 at the University of Wisconsin in Madison is that when you deny an animal copper in their diet, iron will accumulate in their liver. They, they established that fact in their lab in 1928. And many other scientists have confirmed that. But in 2021, Kim and Gonzalez studied 13 different genes to see what happens to these 13 genes if we deny animals copper. They were studying rodents. Only one gene fired up, and it was called ferritin light chain gene, FTL1. And it's it's the gene that makes sure that iron gets loaded in the liver. So again, what we have now is genetic confirmation of what was known almost a century ago, is that low copper in the body induces high iron in the liver. And when there's high iron in the liver, guess what goes missing in action? Magnesium goes right into your your urine. And so vitamin D levels are lower because the 25-hydroxylase enzyme is not working right. Um, a great article for you to read that you would really enjoy is by Meg Mangan, M-A-N-G-I-N, 2014. And she talks about vitamin D and inflammation. And you will be mesmerized by that. And then what's important to also know is that at Hopkins, I am was born and raised in Baltimore. My nickname is Baltimorely. So I, I think a lot of Hopkins, you know, a lot of smart people there. Well, Mohammed Amer did a study in 2013 
all-cause mortality. And what he established beyond a shadow of a doubt is that there's no clinical benefit to having storage D above 21. And if you go back in time, go back 30 years ago, uh, uh, vitamin D levels of 12 to 15 were considered perfectly normal. It was Michael Hollick from Boston University who completely distorted vitamin D and changed the reference range from 30 to 100. The, the part that may be missing in your, in your assessment of your clients, I, I get that you're, you're changing their physiology, but you're suppressing their immune system. And there's a difference between suppression and downregulation. Vitamin A downregulates, vitamin D suppresses. They're very different functions. But, but the key is that when you're doing the, the testing, you don't want to just look at vitamin D. You want to look at these other components of the full Monty. So you have an idea of, of what's happening. And what's particularly important is it would, be, it would be really interesting to take your clients and study their hepcidin levels in relationship to their vitamin D levels. Now, hepcidin, think of hepcidin as the middle linebacker of iron metabolism. Do middle linebackers win the game? Well, they're very important. They, they can stop a lot of plays, right? But who usually wins the game? It's usually the quarterback. It's the Tom Brady's of the world that usually uh, make the play. And I can assure you that bioavailable copper is a quarterback calling different plays. And if you don't, if you don't understand the dynamic of vitamin D on the middle linebacker, hepcidin, what you're doing is you're quietly creating iron dysregulation and iron accumulation in your clients, but you never knew that because you never measured that. And, and it's, I'm just sharing, I mean, I could send you four articles right now that will verify that there's a secondary impact of vitamin D supplementation that you've never known about. And, it, and the average practitioner never measures iron status the way we're talking about. And so here's a quick analogy, and maybe this will tee it up for another conversation. The form of vitamin D, and first of all, it's not a vitamin, it's a hormone, right? Mm -hmm. Agreed, right. yep. You know, storage and an active form of hormone. And so our understanding of, of this hormone, this storage hormone, is that it's faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, taller than the Empire State Building. But all of those attributes are based on active hormone D, not storage. So let me give you an analogy that might hit home. Storage vitamin D is a parked car. Active vitamin D is a car on the highway. And active vitamin D must have a driver. It's called VDR. And it's got to have a navigator called RXR. And the attributes on the immune system for vitamin D are active D, VDR, and RXR working in unison to stimulate the immune system. Well, you can't make RxR without vitamin A. It's impossible. And so I think there's been a lot of, of uh, manipulation of people's understanding. I, I absolutely accept what you say about the impact that's had in your client uh, population. But I think there's more to the story. And I think it would be interesting to know what their copper status is and what their iron status is and see what is what else is going on in their uh, symptom symptomology to, to see if it, in some way that may be a factor in their overall health and well-being. Well, very interesting. Uh, we may have to just 
hopefully you can come back sometime and we can revisit that and uh, go fun. go maybe into that a little bit more in depth. Um, but I do want to take some time, you know, some just takeaways from this. And so you, uh, we talked about the stops, you know, stop doing this, stop eating iron, fortified foods, et cetera. And then you have the starts and you break this up into phases. Um, why did you do that versus just saying, do this? It's easy to get people to do the stops. Uh, as we got into it, we started doing work with, with clients. We found that there was a need for initial focus and then to build on that focus. And that's what really led to the, the phases. You know, again, where, where people can find this information, the, the website is rcp123.org. And, and that's building on those three phases. And so the idea is get people to get comfortable and get mastery over that initial phase and then begin to introduce the components of the next phase. And there's, um, this isn't a, a, a Julia Child recipe where if you don't do it exactly right, it's not gonna work. Um, we've learned that everyone does the RCP a little bit differently, but we found that the sequencing that we've got there seems to work because we're trying to uh, thread the needle of a, of a global population and so we're trying to set it up so that people are going to have optimal results as they begin to adopt this lifestyle. So uh, I'll let, instead of, you know, going through all these recommendations, um, I'll just have people go to the website. Uh, I, I know you can find it at rootcauseprotocol.com. Or RCP123. RCP123. Okay. And I'll, I'll let people uh, look at that. But I, I do want to ask because you don't mention on the starts, I don't see to start taking copper. I mean, so, so you talk about the importance of copper, uh, but, but you don't necessarily say anything about taking a copper supplementation. Uh, why is that? Great, great question, Greg. Thank you for asking. Um, the book was actually written in 2020 in the height of the insanity of the world. I didn't start to understand what that was all about until later in the year. Uh, I, at one point, wanted to research what is, to what extent does copper regulate the immune system? And I stopped counting at 52 articles when I found that clearly copper plays an instrumental role in, in running and regulating the immune system. It's actually the immunometabolism system, as you probably know. And so the article that really stopped me in my tracks, though, was from 2008, and it was using copper to stop the SARS-CoV virus. It's like, okay, so this whole thing is not what we think it is. The, the copper supplement that I've developed has only been developed in the last six months. And so it didn't make it into this edition of the book. It'll be in a subsequent edition that we put out in probably in 2024. But uh, there's enough buzz on the internet that people know that I'm, I'm advocating that. There are actually three forms of, of copper that I recommend. Um, the folks that make Sovereign Silver have developed something called Copper hydrazole, it's a liquid, firmly uh, endorse that. Um, it's, it's low doses, but it's very, very uh, user-friendly. It's very bioavailable. A second form that I regularly recommend is made by a company called ReverseSkinAging.com. And they have what's called a 3% VIP luxury copper cream. And it's amazing. Again, transdermal, very effective. It picks up this GHK copper peptide. And then the supplement that I developed, which is called Recuperate, and people are supposed to be really impressed with my unending wit 
recuperate. So we're eating uh, the, the copper that's so important in our body. But it's, it's a, a mixture of desiccated beef liver, spirulina, dash of uh, turmeric, and then copper bisglycinate, which is a very unique form of copper. Most coppers are either plus one or plus two. This is a copper zero. So it immediately goes right in the cell. And um, I really encourage people to take copper with their diet when they're eating something. And it's just very, very effective. And um, yeah, that, that is a blemish on the book is that, that that's not mentioned, but uh, there's a lot of chatter about it uh, elsewhere. So it'll, it'll make its way into other editions of that uh, text. Can uh, almost anyone benefit from from taking a, a low-dose copper supplement like that or should they get you know all their levels checked first uh, and then i guess my my follow-up question is is just taking copper enough or do they really need to to do the whole right. thing good question i always encourage people to do testing i think it's important for people to have a context for why they feel the way they do i went on record six years ago on 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 Facebook and said, there is no disease, it doesn't exist. There's only stress-induced mineral dysregulation that, that causes metabolic dysfunction. And that leads to a symptom, which leads to a label, but there's no disease process. And so I think it's important for people to know uh, what those levels are. I think it's just as an uh, inquiring mind, people should know that. Um, as it relates to starting the, the protocol, there are probably tens of thousands of people around the world that, that dive into the protocol. I'm sure there are people that are just diving into the supplement. You know, you know how people are. But I would really encourage people, ideally, do the testing, you know, do the stops, phase in the starts, and then you can always incorporate uh, the, the copper supplement along the way. You know far better than I do, Greg, as a, as a physician, that people want to get well yesterday. People have impatience. What's behind the impatience is fear. And we can have a whole conversation about that alone. But the important thing is, I think the body responds to a process, responds to a sense of, of predictability and patience. And I think that's really what the protocol offers up is a, is a proven approach to helping people remineralize their body and allow the energy production to reignite and reestablish itself in the body. Um, you mentioned, we'll wrap up here in just a second, but you mentioned at the end of the book uh, is kind of once you get started on all this, the benefit of phlebotomy. Um, so, so donating yeah. blood, yeah. Uh, which is something that I just started doing. Uh, we were talking before the show about, uh, you know, since I'm kind of learning uh, about all this, um, I was curious and got some labs done. I didn't get everything that you're recommending, yeah. which I, I will. Uh, but you know, my iron stores were a little higher than, than what I wanted. And, and so I've started on a low dose of copper and then I've also, I'm going to start, um, donating blood, uh, yeah. three or four, three or four times a year. I, I feel like that at least most men and maybe postmenopausal women could benefit from, from doing this, Absolutely. Uh, you know, if nothing else, taking a low-dose copper, maybe donating blood periodically. Uh, talk about that, if you will. Yeah, no, it's, I, first of all, you know, I commend you for what you're doing. You know, learn more, do better. And what you're teaching your, your followers, but your, but your patients, is the importance of ongoing education and being open to, to new, 
new thinking. Um, but the, the, the concepts of phlebotomy and blood donations are, are really critical because there is no active mechanism in our body to get rid of excess iron. There's no enzymatic function. There's no hormonal function. The only way to get rid of excess iron is through gravity, through a blood donation. And there are many iron biologists and iron-based clinicians who regularly recommend that. It's just, it's not widely known in practitioner circles that the what's feeding the pathogens is iron. And the iron and the oxygen are creating oxidative stress. Well, that's a fancy term for what we know outside the body called rust. Rusty nail, rusty pipe, rusty car. Well, we're creating rusty bodies. It's well established that iron and iron-induced oxidative stress are behind 100% of the aging process, whether it's vision loss, hair loss, you know, uh, wrinkling of the skin, muscle wasting, and we can go on and on, you know, aches and pains in the joints, things like that. All of that is iron accumulation <coughs> causing oxidative stress. And so I think it's the easiest thing to do is to do a blood donation. And as you said, Greg, um, men and menopausal women easily should be doing uh, probably quarterly. And, and even women who have a menstrual cycle can probably donate a couple times a year above and beyond their monthly blood loss because there's, there's absolutely too much iron in our environment, as you noted at the very beginning of, of our conversation. Well, very interesting stuff. Um, yeah, I'd love to have you back and dig into this a little bit more. We we just really scratched the surface on this. And so I would encourage people to um, check out the book. So it's Cure Your Fatigue. That's the full title. Um, and then also uh, by Morley Robbins. Also check out the um, the website, rootcauseprotocol.com. Uh, again, we, we literally just scratched the surface. So as we wrap up, um, I always ask my guests if they could give us one health tip that would make us healthier today. Uh, what would you say to that? I know we've talked about a lot of stuff, but if you had to pick one, what would you say? Absolutely. Um, boiling down 12 years of research, please get more copper in your diet. And how do we do that? That's, a, that's not an easy task. I, unfortunately, so much copper is missing from the soil. And so I think we're, we're faced with uncomfortable conversations with our farmers at the farmer's market to find out how they're mineralizing their soil. But, but we're, we should be looking at historically copper-rich foods like bee pollen, real vitamin C, beef liver. And I think we're at this point, at this turning point for humanity, I think we're faced with having to incorporate copper supplements in our routine. I, I, I don't see any other way around it. Mm -hmm. And the, the copper is so instrumental for regulating the iron and the oxygen that's causing all the problems. And I've talked before a little bit about um, how healthy liver is and that that was something I was trying to get more in my diet, but I never really talked about it in the terms of copper um, that I, I know is just a really yeah. healthy food, but it's also very high in iron though, correct? Yeah, but a healthy liver, an animal that's raised on grass-fed and grass-finished beef liver has twice as much copper as it has iron. Mm. But the catch is, does the soil have the copper? Mm. That's, that's where the nuance is that a lot of people are just now waking up to. Mm. 
Okay. Well, fascinating stuff. Uh, I feel like it's definitely challenged me and, and uh, makes me want to learn more uh, and dig a little deeper into this. So yeah, good stuff. Well, um, really, really appreciate your time and, and what you do. Um, appreciate you uh, just coming on the show and sharing your knowledge with us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and I look forward to our continued dialogue. Yeah, very good. Uh, and I appreciate everyone listening and hope everybody has a great day and we will talk to you later. Thank you for listening to FitRx. I invite you to share this with friends and family. If you would like, you can check out our website at vibrantlifedc.com or you can email me at drgreg@ at vibrantlifedc.com.